Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From Barangaroo Studios, the AusBiz COV is the key stuff you need to know about the day in business and finance. Hello, it is Wednesday the 21st of October. Welcome to the COB. I'm Ingrid Willinge here with David Scott. And Scotty, I've got to say it was a lacklustre day on markets. We managed to hold on to positive territory just. Yeah, we've had a pretty uh, pretty decent run higher recently. And uh, I've got to say that maybe the higher Aussie dollar may have been an impact today. It was up about half a percent for the session when we closed up. So that's obviously going to have a bit of a headwind when it comes to those offshore earners. Uh, just when it looked like the Aussie dollar might go and crack that 70 cent level and maybe fall back, provide a bit of relief uh, back up on those stimulus hopes, whether they actually come to fruition is another story, though. Some pretty big moves in some stocks today. Temple and Webster took quite the hit, um, despite, you know, coming up with revenue up about 140 percent since the start of FY21. It's continuing to benefit from this consumer shift to online shopping, but the stock is getting slammed. Um, we're going to get to that a little bit later in the program because it was our stock of the day. But retailers are a really interesting one at the moment, Scuddy, just because we've obviously got Victoria on its path to opening up. Um, we've got Australia doing, well, a lot better than the rest of the globe when it comes to living a somewhat normal life. We had retail sales today for September. It was a fall um, of about 1.5%. So we are seeing retail continue to struggle. I think it really comes down to what happens over Christmas. Yeah, that homeless space was another area where weakness was concentrated. So we don't know the exact figures. It's only preliminary figures from the ABS. But uh, one to keep an eye on, and I've, I've warned about this for months and months and months, that prior to the pandemic, the discretionary retailers were really struggling, uh, by and large. There were a few exceptions. And uh, just because we've had the pandemic and there's been a shift to online spending, I don't think the current trajectory has been priced into sales growth and revenue growth in some of those companies that have really outperformed, including Temple and Webster, are going to be justifiable over the longer term. So I'm not surprised to see a bit of weakness. We've seen the pullback in the, uh, the JobKeeper payments, the job seeker payments as well. Mm. Uh, early access to superannuation is starting to dry up now. Um, I put that all together and we're still going to have some fairly weak domestic economic conditions for a while. Uh, and that makes me wonder about whether those uh, the lofty valuations we're seeing at the moment are justified. Well, you speak of valuations and you can't help but talk after pay. Getting over that $100 mark, remaining above that $100 mark today, despite the fact that it did you know, come off a little bit during trade. Um, it's interesting because I know you spoke with Mark Kennis from Stocks Down Under and he, he thought it would hit 100. Now he thinks it can continue going higher on momentum. Does this depend, though, on what we see on US tech stocks as well, therefore sort of related to what we're seeing across the macro in the United States? Oh, it depends on what happens uh, with US tech stocks. But more importantly, like all growth assets, uh, it's depending on what happens with longer dated uh, no, bond yields, uh, risk-free rates are what uh, I know the markets are priced off. And uh, we start seeing uh, those levels going to move back from the record lows or thereabouts that we're seeing at the moment. A lot of those uh, very, very uh, stellar tech performers are going to come under a bit of pressure. So uh, we've seen that you know, domestically, our long, long bond rates have moved back towards the lows that we saw uh, back in March. Uh, that's courtesy of the RBA talking up the prospect of further monetary easing and the like. 
So for the time being, those companies are safe, but when we start seeing a reversal of those trends with risk-free rates, then it will be the day of reckoning, in my opinion. It's interesting though, because you know when you look at tech, and of course we've got to talk tech in the US, you've got this big Google story, the US Department of Justice suing Google in this antitrust case for allegedly abusing its monopoly powers. It's not the first time we've seen the tech space be hit with an antitrust lawsuit. In fact, we've seen some of the tech players actually come out on top um, prior to this. Do you think this changes sentiment for the tech players? I guess the question here has got to be, and we've been talking to a lot of our guests about this today, whether tech can continue the momentum with some of the headwinds that it faces. And it's not just antitrust lawsuits. There's a lot going on. Obviously, president, the, the president that gets in will, will play a role in this as well. What's your take? And what have the guests been saying to you today, Scotty? I'm getting the impression that a lot of people are actually welcoming these threats to the other uh, tech giants and breaking them up because as individual pieces, they're probably regarded, at least in the minds of the people we've been speaking to, as being a more valuable entity. Mm. Uh, but markets being efficient as they should be, let's emphasize the word should, uh, would have that in factored into pricing. But uh, it's interesting to see how many people are talking about you know, the potential like, benefits of being broken up. It's not just when it comes to Google, uh, Amazon web servers. We had James Whelan from BFS Group come on the other uh, program last week talking about how you know, if you broke that company up, and you had the e-commerce side, and then you had the uh, the server side of the business as well, like you no know, potentially worth more than what it is right now. So uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people are still bullish on the space despite the regulatory uh, threat that's posed. It's interesting with some of the the stocks we're watching today, and Megaport plays into this. We were just speaking with the chief executive a short time ago. Um, you and I were the stock price taking such a dive on a result which actually wasn't too bad. Um, I guess it goes to show the, the movements that these stocks are having during reporting season. We're seeing similar moves in the United States to some of the reports there. But, you know, you just got to keep an eye on some of these. A lot of, a lot of uh, Megaport's news has to do with Aussie dollar, which I know you watch closely, Scuddy. Mm. Yeah, so the higher Aussie dollar during the quarter was a headwind. And uh, I did ask, uh, ask the chief executive of Megaport uh, whether there was any hedging plans in place, given they earned so much of, uh, of the revenues abroad. Mm. I didn't, uh, didn't get any really concrete uh, answers to that, but that's something that uh, any company, whether it's uh, Megaport or, or listed or, or unlisted and the like, if you've got a large proportion of revenues overseas, uh, you have to go and play into what's going on with the Aussie dollar because it's mm. such a key headwind. Now, the Aussie dollar's range over the past decade or so, it was a dollar ten, uh, then and now it's uh, it got down to fifty five oh five uh, earlier this year. So uh, that can have a massive imp- uh, impact when you go and translate it back into earnings. And it's interesting when you look at currency because I know you've got a view on central banks today. So we'll get to that in a moment. But you know, are central banks playing currency wars right now? Do they need to play currency wars right now? What's the focus of central banks? Because this is in your view today. Well, on the first question about. Uh, Currency, currency wars, uh, I mean, it's not just today that we're playing currency wars for, uh, for as long as I can remember in one form or another. It's just more, uh, more publicly you know, uh, out there at the moment. Uh, I know that they're making obvious moves to try and weaken their currency, but not obviously everyone can do that at the same time. But the one thing I, I, I suspect is going to come about, and I mentioned it earlier when it talked about uh, you know, the potential for, uh, for longer dated uh, risk-free rates to go and start moving higher, is that I actually think that uh, you know, the global economy will start to go and hum pretty, uh, pretty strongly over the next couple of years. I'd say probably not in the next few months, given what we're seeing with some of the virus trends around the world. But uh, no, with all the stimulus in place, uh, no, with the fact that no, we'll probably have an effective treatment or maybe a vaccine for the coronavirus, uh, that ingredients really suggest that economic conditions are going to go and be quite strong. In a normal circumstance, that will go and see uh, no, long bond yields start to go and tick higher. Uh, will central banks be willing to go and start repealing back the asset purchases 
and let those longer dated yields go because that potentially could go and crash our very, very highly valued asset markets. So I think that there's going to be a test for our central banks. Are they going to go and dictate policy and what's best for the real economy or what's best for our financial markets? Well, all this aside, the, the big focus of markets at the moment, currency markets across all asset classes, is the US election, which is just two weeks away. And we were speaking with Richard uh, Franjulovic, he's Westpac's head of FX strategy. He was saying it is, you know, some interesting things about what the greenback could do. Obviously, worst case scenario, he was saying, is a disputed election. I mean, no one knows how this is going to play out. It, it certainly is the biggest event risk um, you could say, in the, well, in the near future. And it could play out for months to come. There's a lot of concern uh, from a lot of the guests we've been talking to right now for how to trade this because there's so much uncertainty. We know the polls have been wrong so many times before. So how do you play it as an investor? Even um, Richard was saying, you know, the greenback could rally off the back of it if it was, if it was bad news mm. um, from a risk perspective, but at the same time, could see it go the other direction. It's, it's a really hard one to play. Yeah, the US dollar smile, as it's been referred to uh, in markets. So uh, the US dollar typically strengthens when economic conditions are absolutely dire mm. or when the US economy is good. And uh, anywhere in between is that, uh, that sweet spot when uh, it tends to go and weaken and others go and appreciate. So uh, he's exactly right. If we uh, get a really bad outcome, and uh, one that's terrible for the global economy. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see the US dollar rally on the back of that, but it's really interesting to see what's gonna happen over the longer term. I know with a lot of uh, emphasis on this election outcome, and obviously so many people are looking for a different policy stance and the Mm -hmm. like, but from a longer term investment perspective, uh, I'll be surprised if it's gonna have too much of a lasting impact uh, no, when you look at when you go back in time and see, you know, what does it actually look like in a longer term chart? It's probably not going to look too great. You look at other events in time. The 1987 stock market crash is one that's been quite uh, quite obvious this week. A lot of people have brought that up 33 years ago. Uh, you go and look at what that event was on the uh, on the charts now, and you can barely make out the little blip. Well, let's move on from central banks and into our stock of the day, which was Temple and Webster. We were discussing it a little earlier in terms of the big moves uh, Temple and Webster had today. Let's just take a listen uh, to what some of our guests had to say on this, kicking it off with Andrew Page from Strawman.com. What an, what an amazing business. Um, I haven't had time to digest the, the recent results, but look as though they're just knocking it out of the park. So this is one, of, one for me that really comes down to valuation. Um, and that's really hard. Yep. That, is, that, is, that is super hard because these kinds of businesses always look expensive. So I think, I think for me, it's the, the idea here is really a focus on quality, yep. not too much of a focus on value, but uh, this, this one seems to tick a lot of boxes. But there's no doubt it's expensive. Um, it's definitely ridden on the, the, the coattails of COVID in a positive way. I mean, everyone's been sitting at home or a lot of people out there have been sitting at home, first forced to work from home. So you might as well make the house look good while you're there. Yep. Uh, and I think what you can see today from that big drop is the fact that management um, have come out and they're selling down a, a big chunk of shares and that always spooks the market. But it is off a low base. I mean, their earnings are still around, I think, you know, $8 million or so. Yep. Um, Revenue is obviously a bit higher than that. But looking at that chart, psychologically, it's very difficult to jump in like that. But there's all these other reasons, I think, backing it up as to why it's difficult to buy now. So that's Andrew Page from Strawman.com and Michael Wayne from Medallion. There's a lot of talk about these kind of stocks and, and whether they're getting too expensive at these levels. You saw it with Marley Spoon as well and uh, just the, the run up uh, in the chart over the last number of months with COVID being a real tailwind for some of these companies. Whether or not they can sustain that uh, is the question going forward. Yes, uh, I'll be very blunt about it. Be very, very wary of extrapolating short-term trends over a longer term because mm. more often than not, they don't happen. 
Well, I think we might leave it there with, uh, with that, with that uh, remark. We've got lots coming up, though, um, this week, of course. Lots more guests to talk. Really the big themes, which is the US election. And we've got to remember, the day after the US election, or a couple of days after the US election, we've got the RBA, oh, sorry, we've got the RBA meeting just before the US election. Um, and we could see a cut in rates. So that is, that's what we're watching. A lot of the guests saying that they're suggesting we will get a cut in rates. Is that what you're hearing, study? I think so. And it's the uh, right decision. The RBA should be a support function to uh, the state and, and federal fiscal borrowing authorities at the moment. So uh, go and lower, uh, lower rates across the curve. Uh, we'll start with uh, the short end with the, uh, the cash rate and the, the uh, term funding facility down to 10 basis points. And I'd be shocked uh, if the RBA didn't decide to go in down the path and start actually outright quantitative easing between five and 10 years because a lot of that is already in the mm. price. If the bank decides not to go down that path of this meeting, the Aussie dollar will rally. On that, we'll have Andrew Tang, equity strategist at Morgan's, on tomorrow. He'll be discussing how Morgan's is investing in a low interest rate environment. So very topical uh, to what we're seeing right now. That does do it, though, for the COB. We will sign off and we'll see you tomorrow morning. Looking forward to it. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.